You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 441. This is a very special episode of The Sigrun Show. I have switched seats with my dear friend, Selena So, a peer expert and marketing strategist. Selena has agreed to help me tell my story from a different angle. By interviewing me and asking me questions you have always wanted to know the answers to. My biggest struggles, setbacks and low points, but also my, my most powerful epiphanies, lessons and wins. We're going to go over a lot I've never shared publicly before. Not just to tell you an entertaining story, but to provide value and inspiration for everyone who finds themselves in the rocky road that entrepreneurship is. Here's my origin story. Before we dive in though, are you ready for real progress in your online business this summer? Then my upcoming free five-day course, Ultimate Business Success Path, five milestones in five days is perfect for you. If you want to take action and get traction in your online business this summer, join me for five days where you will learn the specific steps to take in your online business to get the client, income, and impact you want and achieve your goals without wasting your time on busy work. Go to the show notes at signal.com forward slash 441 to secure your spot for the five-day free course. So Sigrun, I'm feeling so honored because I know that you're an expert interviewer that has interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs and you've interviewed me as well. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing you. And I think what's really cool is that a lot of times when people reach this massive success, they're not always willing to peel back the curtain. And I know, you know, in preparing for this interview, you've really said that there's no question off the table. I can really ask you anything. And so I have a series of questions because I really want to understand your story, how you've become the success that you've had, um, because I know that you're about to cross the eight-figure mark, which is like almost this unimaginable number that you've achieved. And I know success leaves clues. And so my first question is, you know, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, were there early signs that this was meant to be your path? Has this always been something that's been natural for you? I would actually say not. And I think this must be a good thing for most people listening. Not everyone is born a Richard Branson or Elon Musk. Uh, you know, when I read about these entrepreneurs, there was actually a part of me thinking like, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur because I didn't try to sell a, a card when I was six years old or, or make, you know, a lemonade stand or anything like that. I would say the only thing is that my parents had their own business from the age of two. Uh, and then later on, when I was 10 years old, I started to help them out a little bit in their small family business. Okay. Got it. So you were exposed to entrepreneurs, but it's not like you ever started a business early on. No, not at all. Got it. So how old were you when you actually started your business? And also, were there any major fears that you had to overcome? Because for so many people, the hardest thing is just getting started. Yeah. Oh, I had a lot of uh, doubts. Uh, yeah, you could call it fears. Uh, I guess what uh, manifested itself as a fear in me was overthinking my idea, like hoping this 
fantastic business idea would fall onto my lap or maybe during the shower or and I was just looking I was always looking at other people and I think this is a danger like we we look at someone having an amazing business and we're like oh I want that but we're all on our own journey and we have to figure it out and I guess where I could have saved myself some agony and some time is to really uh, dive and be along more entrepreneurs earlier on and and possibly get some coaching. Like I, I thought I could just figure this out. And I had all these ideas that my business had to be something really, really special. And uh, I don't know if you've read the book, The Alchemist, you know, where the boy seeking a treasure and he goes on a traveling around the world, ending up finding the treasure in his backyard. So that's how it felt to me. How old were you, you got started? And so it sounds like there are a lot of like ideas or things that you're exploring. What was the first idea that you decided to run with? And related to that, what was the first offer that you sold to the world? So actually, uh, the first idea that I started to uh, work on was an online shop for Icelandic designer products. And I... I started to uh, work on that uh, after I had lost my job twice and been sick for seven months. I've shared that story a lot, how that all got started. And uh, I realized, you know, I was, uh, this is like 2013. So I'm uh, 42. And, uh, you know, that's a time where like, is this, is this it? Is life meant to be this way? You know, uh, am I not supposed to do something else with my life? And I had been running other people's businesses for 10 years. Oh, okay. And then uh, I was like, you know, I had the sickness and I was not fully recovered. And I had uh, had two jobs where things didn't work out so well. And I knew I was a, you know, I was a hardworking person. And Always employees, lo employers loved having me as an employee. I did a good job, but somehow I was like, something is off now. Like I'm not finding the right job and I'm getting sick. Maybe this is a sign. Maybe these are multiple signs that I'm meant to do something else. And when I had lost my job twice in two years, I uh, was on the unemployment, I went to the unemployment agency. So that I, I had to swallow my pride, you know, I had been paying my dues, but you know, now I had to go there and ask for money. And uh, they wanted to support me actually starting my business because they said, you're unemployable. <laughs> they said that to you. That's interesting. Even though you had been like this star employee for years and then all of a sudden you're like, what is happening? I can't seem to hold the job. And then they're like, oh, let, let us like support you to become this entrepreneur. Yeah. So I was like, uh, okay. And luckily I was in the right frame of mind. Like I had been thinking maybe this is the time, but when I get this outside confirmation, like, hey, we're going to support you, but you need to come with a business plan. And I'm like, oh. business plan, that's my jam. I know how to do that. And so I pulled together slides on, you know, I even had pitch decks on my, you know, I had a lot of pitch decks because I had been uh, surrounded by startups and I had been writing business plans for startups. So writing a pitch deck was easy work for me. And I had this idea of like, hey, I want to do something with online. And online shop was the first thing that came to my mind. I didn't think coaching or being a business coach, like something was so close to me. You know, I'd been running businesses successfully for 10 years, but I didn't see 
that as the thing. I was trying to look for something else. And I think a lot of people do that, like trying to look for that. The grass is greener on the other side. There must be this amazing idea. I didn't go so far with this idea, but I did invest uh, some time, maybe six months. Uh, I had two partners uh, and we went to a trade fair. I created a Shopify test site. I talked to uh, design vendors. So I did invest uh, some thing into it, but then uh, I started to see like, do I really want to do shipping and returns? And I, I was like, I think I'm not passionate about it. And I think uh, when I finally decided not to do it, it was I was uh, testing Google keywords. How many people are actually searching for Icelandic design online? And it was so little that I thought like, <laughs> how am I ever going to sell this if nobody's looking for it? Yeah. And then how did you eventually pivot to the business that you have now? Yeah, it came uh, as a series of, uh, I guess, frustrations with myself. That's often when I get my best ideas. I'm either frustrated with myself or someone else. And I'm like, oh, so now I know if I'm frustrated, there is a breakthrough around the corner. So uh, towards the fall of 2013, I'm getting very frustrated and I start to, uh, you know, tingle with my website. And after I switched the theme five times, I said to myself, you have 48 hours to fix a theme and write your first blog post. <laughs> and so I got going on the blog posts, but I still had no business, uh, you know, offer or anything. But in January 2014, uh, then I had already been uh, unemployed for 18 months. So Ooh, I had okay. lost a lot of time. Yeah. But finally, after 18 months, I got myself together. Also, I wasn't receiving any money anymore from the unemployment agency because they were like, oh, we've supported you now for enough time. So now you could, you know, start your business. And I'm like, uh, I was not totally ready, but I had to do it. I, I finally got it. I was like, I had been trying some online courses of other people. I had been uh, hanging around around with other entrepreneurs and I, it hit me how I was helping people. I was very active in Facebook groups and I was answering a lot of questions. I was answering first in the beginning, a lot of tech questions, but then a lot of business strategy questions. And I'm like, I'm a business coach. I just, just got to accept it. Oh my gosh. I love that. I think that sometimes we can just be so in our heads, like what is a perfect idea? But when we just get out there and add value and interact with people, our natural like strengths come up and you're like, oh, this is what I should be doing. Yeah. And then finally I had the courage to put a button on my website. Okay. And March 26th, uh, someone bought, paid $180 for a coaching session. Okay. Wow. And that's a pretty good rate as a first time, you know, official coach, $180. Okay. And then how did you get from that to, I know that you're, you know, at the, you know, high levels, like you know, brought in eight, um, sorry, excuse me, eight figures at this point, but how did you go from, you know, the $180 to them building a six figure business? Uh, I would say it was in the beginning, a rocky ride. I called this phase, uh, spaghetti at the wall phase, the first nine months. Yeah. I was uh, struggling to figure out like my positioning and uh, I was doing a lot with very little results and I uh, was 
spending a lot of time creating a freebie, writing blog posts, and I wasn't really making an offer. And I think that's because I didn't, I wasn't in a program. I didn't, I wasn't in a coaching program, so I didn't really have anyone to turn to. I was just following some steps that I saw someone do. And I'm like, oh, this freebie thing, that's important. And, but my breakthrough (laughs) was when middle of the year, I had the idea of doing weekly webinars. And that was really my gold mine. And now webinars don't work the same way. I, I often see people like, oh, Sigrun, I'm going to do the same thing you did. I'm like, yeah, but that was 2014. Things do change. Right. But back in 2014, this was the thing. Not so many people were doing webinars. I started to do them weekly. I loved them. I started to teach people Canva and MailChimp and lead pages and Facebook ads and all that stuff. I learned Facebook ads myself. And then within a few weeks, my email list grew crazy. Uh, I was at 1500 by September and mostly due to the fact that I've been doing webinars for three months. And then I was like, okay, now I have 1500 people in my list. I'm not really making a lot of money. Like what's, what's, what's wrong? So I find, I finally bit the bullet and hired a, a, a business coach, a launch coach. Okay. And, and that's where, that's where I had the breakthrough. And actually I had the breakthrough before she started coaching me. I paid <laughs> the $5,000, which was a load of money for me. You know, I was still not earning a lot and okay. see, uh, well, I hadn't had any sessions with her, but the same day I got an email from a man who was reading my blog posts that I had been writing since the fall before. And he said, do you offer coaching? And I was like, oh, I do. (laughs) Maybe I should tell someone about it. Right. So when you were doing these webinars, how were you getting people's eyeballs on your webinars? And were you doing like the same webinar every week? Or were you teaching different content? Were you driving people somewhere? What was the whole strategy behind that? Well, in the beginning, I just did one webinar. So there was no strategy. And it was, I was just taking whatever I was curious about myself. So I discovered uh, Canva, which everyone uses today. But, you know, 2014, not many people knew about it. They didn't know how to use it. I, you know, I'm very tech savvy. So it was kind of natural to me to start with something like that. And uh, since I had been so active in Facebook groups, which I think was really the beginning of getting my clients was that I had been active in Facebook groups probably for one and a half years without selling anything. I had become the go-to person for many questions. Like people would tag me, maybe Sigro knows. And uh, I remember at the time that I was thinking, am I wasting my time in these Facebook groups? But now looking back, I know it was not a waste of time. And, uh, In the beginning, uh, people were not so strict about, for instance, advertising a webinar. So I could even put a link to my first webinars into those Facebook groups, which it's more difficult today. I know not everyone will allow that or you would have special days, but everyone can become the go-to person in a Facebook group. If you're just coming from a place of wanting to help, you don't have dollar signs in your eyes and you really just want to be there for other people. And that's how I got the first signups for my webinars. I had 67 people signed up for the first webinar without Facebook ads. That's awesome. And then it grew. Yeah. 
So, okay, you were growing, you know, your audience by adding value in Facebook groups. People saw you as that go-to person. And when you offered more through a webinar, they signed up. And then you took things to the next level by hiring that launch coach. So how did that transform your business? What did you start doing differently once you had that mentor and those tools under your belt? So with the launch coach, I learned to launch. And since then, you know, I've absolutely fallen in love with launching. I love doing it. I love teaching my clients how to do it. The first launch actually didn't go that well initially. She told me to sell one-on-one coaching. I wanted to sell an online course. And uh, so, you know, I got my way through. We presented an online course on that first webinar. 600 signups and one person bought. Oh, oh, so 600 people signed up for the webinar and one person bought the course. Okay. Yeah. Uh. And I refunded the money and... Uh, since I still had the coach, I was not too stressed. I'm like, we're going to figure this out. Uh, I also used to do turnarounds as a CEO. Right. And she said, yeah, yeah, we'll figure this out. So we offered free online business strategy sessions and 90 people booked. Ooh, that's a big number. That's a lot of folks. And I was immediately sold out for the next month. I sold all my coaching packages. First, I had six sessions in six weeks. Then 12 sessions in three months, the price was 1500 and then 3000 And, you know, the first people who were, were the first people to book were my first clients. And uh, I made 27000 in uh, a few weeks. Overall, I made 55000 in three months. So basically, I made 80% of first year's revenue in uh, three months. Oh, that is amazing. And I mean, I know that things change all the time, right? Like you're saying what worked, you know, back in the day webinars doesn't necessarily work in the exact same way today. But for people that are in their earlier phases of business, do you think that they should get started doing one-on-one packages and services? Or do you think that they can move to online courses like you wanted to originally relatively quickly? Yeah, that's a great question because, for a long time, I truly believed that this path that I took, one-on-one coaching, and I did one-on-one coaching for a whole year until I added groups. And this is how what brought me to six figures. You know, you can actually have a six-figure business with just doing one-on-one coaching. Yeah. But I know that a lot of people go into online business they, because they don't want to do one-on-one <laughs> coaching. And uh, I think it, it depends on your numbers. It's really a numbers game. If your email list is small... Uh, the likelihood of actually selling a lot of spots in an online course is small as well. Like it's just, you know, typically 3% buy. If I looked back at my first year in business, I think I had a 7% conversion. So if I looked at my whole email list and also on all the sales I'd made, it was about 7%. And that's still good. So yeah, yeah. And that's where I think a lot of people who go into online business, they have to first accept this number. But with that being said, I believe that you can quickly, much quicker than I do, sell an online course, create an online course. And that's why I came up with my own method, how I teach my clients. Like I get absolute beginners into my, some of my programs and uh, within 10 weeks, they create their first online course and start to make sales. So Yes, one-on-one coaching is a great way to start, but you don't have to be stuck there for a very long time. And you can actually create your online course 
in your first year of business. Okay. And just because I think people may be wondering this, like, you know, we got to know our numbers, we got to do the math. So when you're saying, you know, let's use a 3% number, is that 3% of the total list? Or is that 3% of people that are opening your emails? Or is that 3% of people that are engaging in your launch? It's typically 3% of people who have shown some interest. So we always, when we go into a launch, we have uh, something we call a launch list. Okay. So my email list might be, I don't know, let's just take a number. You might have a thousand people on your email list, but only 200 sign up for a webinar. Then you can only calculate 3% from this 200. But, and, but if you look at your whole email list, you might calculate in everything you sell. Like sometimes I sell a workshop for 47. Maybe I sell a high-end uh, group coaching for 15,000. If I take all these numbers for a long time, I actually had 7% total uh, sales from the whole list. Okay, got it. So now I want to talk about more about your secrets to your success, because a lot of people have done the things that you know, you've done where they've tried different things, they've hired a coach, but not everyone has built a business that is generating eight figures in revenue. Um, so what would you say are the top two to three things that have attributed to your long term success in your business? Well, I think learning how to launch was the first thing that really, you know, it just taught me the whole thinking behind uh, getting people interested in something and then making an offer and following up. I think you can take what you learn in launching and also sell in between launches, which I also do. Uh, creating an ascension model was uh, the second thing. Uh, because if you just have one offer, I, I know a lot of people teach that like, Hey, sell one thing. And then that's going to be easy. I, I truly believe, yeah, keep your business simple because it's going to be easier to scale, but acquiring clients again and again is, is also very expensive. Yeah. So it's better if you have an Ascension model, if you have a program where people can grow into the next program and it's a natural next step. And, uh, Ultimately, today I have four steps or even five. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, you yeah, know, maybe I need to simplify again. But I have multiple steps. And, uh, you know, we sometimes look back and say, who has not moved on? It's such a small percentage. Like we have most people move on to other programs. Like we have a program where people can move up and we have maybe a program where people you could call it move to the side. Maybe they're not ready to move up, but they move to the side. So I love that. Having a customer journey that anticipates what is the next step for your client. And it might be, you know, the only way is up. You might have that kind of a model, or you might have a model what I have, which allows my clients to kind of almost take a break, but not leave your uh, circle right away. So I think Ascension model, yeah, it's been a huge, huge part of my success. So I think people who are listening to this are probably thinking, okay, I should build my Ascension model, but what does that look like? What's the difference between price points? What would it mean for someone to step to the side versus go up? So can you give us a high level of what your Ascension model is? So it starts with uh, a $3,000 investment into a program where people create their first or next online course. Okay, I just because that's amazing. It starts with a $3,000 product. You were like, whoa, mind's blown. But anyways, I'll let you continue. Okay. Yeah. I tried the other way, so I'll, I will get the back. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it starts with a $3,000 investment. And uh, that means, you know, 
we have to sometimes uh, earn that trust. Like people maybe follow me for months or even years until they're ready, but the success stories are undeniable. Like people come into the program and then a year later they're making six figures or even even within the program. Yeah. People make, I've had people make from zero to six figures within four months after joining this program. Wow. So basically they, even if they have an online course, but they just have a small email list, they create their first or next online course, build their email list. They learn how to do an upsell afterwards. So at the end of the day, they have created two programs after 10 weeks only. Like it's, it's massive what they create. And I created this program out of frustration, (laughs) coming back to how I create my best work. Uh, I had created a, a scalable program back in 2017. And I was very happy with it. Sigrun's online MBA, somebody called it. Yeah. But something was off. People were watching my videos, attending my masterclasses, coming to hot seat calls and all the stuff. But I was not seeing enough results. You know, there's always 10% that do everything. Sure. No matter what you do. Yeah. And there's 10% that's never going to do anything. So the 80% in the middle... I see it as our responsibility as coaches, teachers, trainers, consultants to get to those 80%. Mm. And I don't think I was doing a good enough job. And I was thinking like, what's wrong? Because I was doing what I saw everybody else do. Like I created videos, I had good instructions, people loved my teaching and I'm like, what's missing? They're not doing it. They're not doing it. So I'm like, how, how can I get them to do it? And that's when I came up with a summer school program within my paid program. And this is essentially Sampa Kickstart today, which is my starting point in the customer journey. So, and then once people have created their course and, uh, you know, uh, I was like, okay, how do they market and sell it? So then I decided last year to add a layer and I call it Sampa Accelerator. That's also, uh, the investment is, uh, going to go up to 5,000. It has been 3,000, but we're increasing the price. It's a smaller group of people and they are launching. So 10 week crash course and launching, and they're actually doing it. They're not just watching videos. (laughs) They actually have to do it. That's why I have a certificate at the end. I also have a prize that can win something, an Apple iPad. And I, I really make it into uh, a game almost like, you know, you got to do this by this date and this by this date. You have to fill out this form. You have to prove to us you're doing it. It's, it's like a school, but it shows the success stories that this really works. And so once people have completed these two programs, then they are eligible for Momentum, which is a 12-month group coaching program. It's uh, 18,000. Uh, and then, uh, on top of that, I have a mastermind, uh, which is, uh, I think at the moment, 40, 45,000. Yeah. So that's for, you have to be at 250,000 and you're aiming for the million, but these are the four programs. And then the side program, you know, if you're not ready to step up, you want to step to the side, we have a membership, which is the old program. The one that I originally created, the Sampa. Uh, membership. Now it's a membership where we have all the content. People can dip in and dip out. They have hundreds of masterclasses and they access to me uh, during hot seat calls. But it's for people who want to take things a little slower, maybe repeat what they have learned 
and they're not ready to take the next level yet. But that's the five programs we have. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm fascinated by how you, um, you know, have all these premium entry points, but also just knowing that, you know, people are ascending up that ladder, right? They're not going to send up the ladder unless they're seeing results, right? And like continued growth. So I'm curious about the highest level of the mastermind, because that's, you know, a premium price point for sure. Um, and I find that people, you said they have to be at least 250,000 or so. Yeah. I find that at that level of business, it's interesting because like they've had, you know, substantial success, but yet there's so much more to go to hit the seven figures. Um, you know, and they have to figure out like team and running group programs. And there's just so much to it. I think that that's, a you have to really provide like very premium support. I, I feel like when you're working, maybe entrepreneurs are at seven figures, they've got it mostly figured out and you can just kind of give them advice or whatever, but you don't have to support them as deeply with like the systems and structures. So can you explain how you kind of deliver at the highest level, um, you know, at that 40,000 plus level for that group? Yeah. So uh, it's a very small group, uh, 10 to 12 women. Okay. And uh, most of the delivery happens over retreats. Okay. Uh, we've, we've, ha we've had to do some virtual ones, but we are very excited to move uh, to face-to-face -face ones very soon. Uh, but yeah, most of the things happens over retreats. That's where we really get the intense work together. Uh, and then we have weekly, uh, no, not weekly, <laughs> monthly mastermind calls in between the retreats. And then my team comes in as well. So, uh, and I play it a little bit by the ear of the group, what the topics are. Like uh, there is a curriculum in mind, but uh, as you said, team building is a huge one. So we have a retreat coming up and uh, I have two guest speakers on Teams and uh, so there's going to be a lot of work on, you know, creating the org charts, uh, you know, the values and everything. And, and some people have it in place already, so they will just update it and others are doing this for the first time. And so, yeah, we, we have a lot of trainings, but they're all tailored to the group and making sure that they, you know, hit, hit their numbers at the end of the day. Well, you know, everyone want, is, is in there too. Uh, hit seven figures. So that's really what we are aiming for. And then I also, of course, because it's not one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, although I do hop on a one-on-one -on -one call when, whenever they need it, especially in a launch, um, I do then, you know, recommend coaches they can go to. For instance, having a team coach, I think at some level, you want to have an actual person that can even meet your team and talk to your integrator. And uh, that's where I have my Rolodesk and can, you know, give them some tips who to talk to. So these are people, are these people a part of your team who are supporting them or they're external coaches where you're saying you can get supplemental support? They're external coaches. Yeah. So I just have a few names uh, and I sometimes have brought them in as guest speakers. And then I just say, hey, this is a person I work with personally, or many of my clients have worked with this person. So I'm not even thinking of, you know, being an affiliate or a referral partner or anything like that. Just like I want my clients to get the best support possible. And it can sometimes be someone that is not me. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I'm thinking about is when people are developing their premium programs, I think there's a fear. Like if someone is spending $10,000 to work with me or in your case, you know, $40,000 plus, um, like 
we can feel as coaches, like we're responsible for their results and, you know, how available do I need to be? And if they're not happy or if they're not getting results, then I'm going to feel bad about myself. Like, how do you manage sometimes the fears where you feel like, um, you know, if you charge premium, it means that you're on the hook for your client's results? I think I'm completely detached from that today. So I think I had that possibly in the beginning and I was very scared of raising my rates. And it was actually a client who uh, told me that I was uh, underpriced. Uh, she, she had tested out different business coaches. This was in my very first year business, which was great. And she came back and she said, Sigrun, I tested uh, four business coaches and you were cheapest and you were the best. <laughs> uh, and she was my client for years and I continued to raise my rates and continue to raise my rates. So it's all about this, uh, I guess we can call it alignment, even if it's not a word that I use a lot. Like I can see the results in my clients' lives and businesses and I have limited amount of time. So in my high-end program where I'm spending the most time, I'm looking at like, actually uh, a high-end program makes the least, least amount of profit. I'm not sure people realize that. Uh, you know, you know when you do, uh, I do uh, retreats and they are, uh, some of them are all inclusive. Okay. And, and I would say the half price of the cost goes into maybe one retreat. So uh, people are not realizing that, you know, a high-end mastermind, what rectifies the price point, it's, it's not because some brand is, is more popular or you are premium. It can be that the actual costs are just a lot, lot higher. Plus, then I calculate my time, of course. And if I really wanted to be uh, <laughs> pricing my, retreat, uh, uh, my high-end mastermind correctly, it probably would have to be double. But I don't because... I want to make sure it matches everything else I offer. And I want to make sure that people who have been with me for years, they should be able to afford to go to the next level with me. So typically, uh, those in my high level masterminds have actually been with me for years and they move up. So I am also pricing it in a way that it's like, this is the natural next step for them. If I would suddenly say, oh, it's 100,000, I would be targeting a completely different client who hasn't been with me before. Right. And that wouldn't feel right to me. Yeah, that makes sense. So one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, group dynamics, right? As you grow and scale your business, you're not just going to be working one-on-one. -on -one. You're going to be working with groups of people. And um, I just feel like so much of the quality of our life is about the people who are in it. So is there anything that you have done to make sure only the right people enter your masterminds or group programs? And if there is someone that is not in alignment, how do you handle that? Because I think a lot of people are afraid of that situation happening, or if they are in that situation, once you know they've received the money, they try to justify things and make it work. And I wonder what you've done as you've grown and scaled your business. Oh yeah, I'm, I've become more and more protective. I think in the beginning, when we are more interested in the money than the experience, like, you know, when we're just trying to make ends meet or, you know, I just think everyone who's building a six figure business in the beginning is thinking about themselves. Like think about the oxygen mask in the airplane. You put it first on yourself before you're supposed to put it on a child. And I think in business, it's the same thing. So 
if someone wanted to join a mastermind with me in, I don't know, 2015, when I started to offer masterminds, I wasn't very selective, you know? Anyone who wanted to sign up could join because I was like, oh, another person wants to sign up. Yes, yes, of course. So it's more like I am the needy one. And this is natural. This is not just me. This is, I think I see this with everyone who starts to build a business. You're just so grateful for every client you get. I think where we really have the growth is when we realize we're not for everyone and not everyone is uh, eligible to go into a program, especially a program where uh, it's only a few people. So yeah, I have made my mistakes along the way. I have had a group that was too diverse. Uh, I had people that were maybe very experienced and then I thought someone was maybe experienced enough and then the group has started. So, uh, and then clients have come back to me and given me the feedback. I'm like, yeah, I would continue next year, but this year's experience was maybe not what I expected because this one person or these two people were not on par with that. And that's maybe, you know, that comes with experience, you know, like how can you read people and make sure that they are a good fit? I don't think we are necessarily born with that skill. We can make our mistakes and I will own my mistakes. Uh, but I'm very glad that I feel that I've come out of it stronger. And actually now, because people are now approaching me for next year's mastermind. So we are already being selective and, uh, you know, someone that I thought would join us, we've decided it's maybe not a good fit. Uh, and so we are more, more selective. Also, you 50% continue for another year. That's high. So I am keeping them in mind as I am creating a new group and I'm making sure that this group can function well together. Every group is different. But yeah, so if I can give anyone advice... If you have a small group program, don't take people on that just because you need the money. Like, you know, rather have one less person in the group. Uh, and that's a lesson that I learned over the years. And, uh, you know, I've also put two groups together because they were not full. And, you know, and so in hindsight, these were things that I should have not compromised on because financially, it, it, at the end of the day, it didn't matter at all. Uh, but yeah, now I feel very happy this year's a group is amazing uh, and I'm excited to have another similar group next year. So when you look at all of your clients that have successfully grown with you, they've, you know, ascended up to the next level. Um, are there any things that you, any qualities you find in common that your most successful clients have? They are action takers. Uh, and uh, there is not a lot of mindset issues, you know, I'm not a mindset coach. A mindset comes up and I can help with mindset, but I've also told my clients, like, you should take this question to therapist, to a therapist. And so I think it's really important that people work on themselves and understand that a business coach does not solve all your problems. Uh, a business coach is there to help you build your business. And if you have some mindset issues, something from your childhood that's maybe holding you back to really fully, you know, become the person you can be and the business person you can be, the mindset not coach is not going to solve that for you. So I can help with mindset a lot. And I do that with my clients, but I would say 
the clients that do the best are those who also are, you know, see that they possibly need to seek advice somewhere else. You know, this is, yeah. You know, business coaching is not a one-step shop where you get your self-care and, 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 and money mindset and everything fixed in one go. Sometimes there are other programs and other coaches better suited for that. On the other hand, you should not be guru hopping, you know, oh, this person can solve all my problems. And if they can't, they'll find another. Like, I truly believe you should stick with uh, someone for years. That's uh, for me also personally, I've typically had the same business coach for two or three years in a row. Because I believe it just takes time to, to get everything that I want from that person. And also to give that, you know, I don't know, my part time in that program or with that coach but if I need something extra I'm not gonna be like grudgy and say oh this person should have given me that or why didn't they address this mindset thing I'm like that's not that's not a part of the thing like you know I hire a team coach or I hire a mindset coach like I, I I'll dive deeper into the issues with someone else but I have the same business coach to help me move forward mm, beautiful okay so one of the things I'm curious about is what does your team look like? I feel like, you know, just knowing that you have like these four to five different offers, people are investing at the low end 3000 on the high end 40,000 plus, there can be a lot of pressure. And it sounds like there's a lot of work that needs to be done to support the various clients and students that you have. Um, and I know that I imagine that you're not doing this all yourself. So how many people are on your team? And are there any things in particular that you've done to relieve yourself of so much of the nitty gritty um, inside your company and also serving clients? I think one of the best things that I did, and I didn't see anyone else doing this, but I'm sure other people are doing it, is that I started to hire program directors. Ooh, I don't see that a lot. That's interesting. Initially, it was this Sampa summer school program that I realized, oh, this is a thing on its own. So I should take it. I should not run it as a hidden challenge inside my paid program. I should actually make this a separate program, which I then did. And then I thought to myself, oh, you know, I, I, was, I felt a bit tired thinking of it. Like if I constantly have to do a challenge you know, I can do a challenge once a year, but if I'm going to do it multiple times a year, I need to have someone with me. So I reached out to a client who had done this successfully, who had been a student twice. Uh, she actually won the Sombra Summer School 2018. And I said, uh, you know, could you be a coach in the program? And I just called her a coach in the program. Like I, I wasn't thinking she would completely take over, but it, it naturally happened. I I was so, you know, I don't really believe in luck. Let's say I just had a hunch that she was the right person and she didn't just become a coach doing the coaching calls once a week, but she basically took over the whole program and uh, every week she reviews the content and then she would let me know if there's anything that she thinks is not clear enough and then I would add in another video and, uh, you know, so it was really, she reviews the emails and she makes sure they're scheduled. Like she just owns the program from A to Z. And I was like, wow, what a relief. And then I started to do this with all my other programs. And now I'm not running any of my programs. Right, right. That's so fascinating. So 
is a program director, is that like a full-time role or a part-time role? Other people are thinking maybe I need to have a coach or a program director. Like, what does that look like? How do they get started? No, it's actually more like a, a part-time role uh, in the beginning. Uh, you could have someone full-time, but then I think they could be in charge actually of two programs if they're full-time. So yeah, but now I have on top, I have a program director Okay. Uh, above all my program managers. And C is full-time. So the program managers can be part-time, but there's a program director full-time to make sure there's integration between all our programs. And uh, if anyone is sick or on holiday or any changes, the program director can step in and also run the program. Ah, interesting. Wow, that's really, really good. Okay. Um, so another question I have for you is because, I mean, you've done a phenomenal job of scaling and growing your business and attracting all these clients. What do you personally do for self-care to rejuvenate and recharge and also savor your success in the midst of all this like amazing, you know, activity and movement inside your business? So, yeah, it's interesting. I don't really use the word self-care personally, but uh, I do like to go away. Um, my parents have a little cottage one hour away from Reykjavik. So I've been in Reykjavik, Iceland since November last year, uh, mainly because of COVID. The situation in Iceland was much better than in Switzerland. I live in both places, but Iceland was the better <laughs> country to be in now. And so going away for a weekend and just being in nature, uh, talking to my parents, like I'm really enjoying this extra time that I'm getting again with my parents uh, when they are aging. And, uh, you know, as, as I do in terms of sports, I, I, I like to play golf. I'm not good at it. But um, when, my, my, when my husband is here with me, then we like to go and play golf and, and do something outside. I really, even though I'm not a sporty person, I realize that going outside, whether it's for a walk or a golf or just sitting outside, like I really need that energy, that nature to uh, recharge. And then I was sick uh, several months ago and I, I rediscovered another thing that, that helps me recharge was reading uh, criminal stories. I, I, think, <laughs> I think I've read in the last uh, three months, I've read... Uh, 12 books. Wow. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs, we read a ton of business books and personal growth books, but okay. So criminal books. <laughs> yeah. Someone is being killed. I used to run it read Agatha Christie when I was 12. Like I, I, I learned, I learned English from the age of eight to 12. And by the age of 12, I was reading Agatha Christie in English as a non-native speaker. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, with your business being so successful, um, like what, what do you dream of next? Like if you could make wave a magic wand and have, you know, whatever you want happen in your business or your life, what would be like your top wishes? I really want to make a dent in the universe in terms of gender equality. And, uh, I think, uh, my business alone will not be it. Like I will find other venues. I have a couple of books in mind that I need to write. <laughs> Not sure when to do it, but <laughs> I need to get to it. Uh, one of them is called Recipe for Gender Equality. 
Oh, beautiful. Okay. And uh, it's quite, you know, once I write it, because I know I will one day, uh, it will take me a bit away from the business I'm running today because it's more political, I guess you say, because I will, you know, I have a recipe in mind that governments need to do, that corporations need to do, of course, the individual as well. And uh, a lot of people will not like my recipe. And uh, yeah, it's disruptive in a way. And so uh, that's a thing that I, I have to grow into. I have to be ready for it. I have to be ready to then to be on a different stage uh, that is maybe not online business. Yeah, that's interesting and also inspiring that you're actually willing to be controversial. Because for a lot of people, if they know that their ideas are going to rock the boat, they're like, I'm going to keep them to myself. But you're like, no, I think that this is important to get out into the world. And one thing that's coming to mind is when we think about gender equality, I mean, it's it's a global issue, but also we have to think about gender equality and gender relations within our own, you know, our own family units, our own marriage. Um, and so given that you're someone that believes so much in gender equality, um, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your husband? Um, I know that he worked at in your business at one point and doesn't anymore. So I'm curious about that but what has been your recipe for a healthy you know relationship between a man and a woman inside this like you know marriage when i uh, discovered my why i was 16 years old and uh i there was these women i was doing a course with i was 16 they were in the 40s and 50s and i was shocked that they had not made their dreams come true and actually i was not just shocked i was frustrated, angry, upset with society. I was upset with the women that they would just use excuses instead of following their dreams. Excuses like having children, uh, getting married, and you know all the other excuses that we know, time and money and skills. And I took some decisions. I took a decision that uh, I would do something about it. I, I did not want to go into politics. That's why my I have a little resistance about my book that I want to write because I don't want to go into politics, but I still think I will have to write the book because it's meant to be. Um, but this experience, 16 years old, to see women that are now in my age, like, you know, I'm in this age now that they were in the back then and they were all had good dreams, not crazy dreams, just like regular, normal dreams. And they had not made them come true. And I had a wake up call. I, I realized society uh, accepts excuses from women more than men, especially when it comes to children and spouses. So I took a couple of decisions. I decided not to have children. And uh, I have now two stepsons, two wonderful stepsons. So I kind of broke my promise there a little bit, but I don't have biological children. Uh, I also decided a man would never stop me from following my dreams. And I decided I would always follow my dreams and not use excuses. And on top of that, you know, how could I find a way to actually have some influence on gender equality myself? So I decided this 16 years old. Uh, so coming back to your question, uh, I had been in two long-term relationships when I met my husband. And uh, the first one uh, broke down because, uh, you know, I wanted to study in Germany and he said, no, I want to be in Iceland. So I'm like, okay, that's it then. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, because I, 
Oh, I realized that uh, that was not a compromise I was willing to make. It was my dream to become an architect since I was 11 years old. And then I meet a man when I'm, t you know, older and he was not telling me, oh, you can't follow your dream. But I was like, if the relationship is strong enough, then it would withstand me going and following my dream. Mm, okay. Yeah. But it wasn't because I realized that distance did not make the relationship stronger. It made it weaker. So I actually had the courage to just say, hey, it's over. Wow. So I went straight into the next relationship. You know, the first one was seven years. The second one was eight years. Mm. And I thought I had, you know, found the man of my dreams. Uh, he was very supportive and things I was doing. Although I remember when I was offered a scholarship to go to Switzerland to study at one of the leading universities there. Uh, it's like MIT of Europe. It's ETH. Yeah, it's like really, really prestigious school. And they offered me a scholarship. It was a one year post grad, a post master's study. And he was like, mm, I don't know. I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure. So I went and did it even though he had his concerns. And it turns out in hindsight, I didn't know this until years later, that this was a turning point in our relationship. I didn't know that. Uh, and he started to cheat on me behind my back. And uh, I didn't find out until three years later, yeah, that he had actually not been faithful to me probably for years. And that was a huge shock. And Still today, I'm hurt, you know, talking about it. And uh, it really, you know, this, this caused me to actually be single for five years because this hurt, this mistrust, like, you know, you go on and follow your dreams. And even though your spouse might not like be fully be on board, that's no reason to start to cheat on you and live a double life. And uh, that's what he did. And uh, horrible. Horrible thinking about it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so imagine, and I'm just like, I just want to say, like, I'm so proud that you followed your dreams. Cause I think that all of us sometimes, I mean, yes, there's compromise in relationships, but I think, you know, we don't want to overly sacrifice our dreams to make another person happy and only, you know, with the end result being, you don't even stay with them, you know, and that yet you sacrifice all your dreams along the way and you're not further along. So exactly. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Happy you moved forward with that. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, I'm alone for five years. I, I pour myself into uh, my career. This is the time where I became a CEO. So maybe that was a good timing that I was single and could, uh, could uh, run uh, multiple businesses. And uh, I'm in a good place then myself five years later when I'm at a Tony Robbins seminar. And I sit down next to a guy that uh, looks nice. And I was not in the mood for love. I was honestly just there for myself. For my personal development, I had been doing Dale Carnegie courses and someone had been talking about Tony Robbins. And I'm like, okay, I got to go to London and see this guy. And, uh, but turns out that uh, he was there with his mother and they were such a nice, uh, you know, they were just so nice to me. They reserved me a seat the next day. We, we, we had dinner together and over the three days we spent together, I was like, wow, these are great people, but still... I wasn't thinking romance at all. Uh, turns out that he was married, although he says it was breaking down. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, even less interested. But I wasn't interested. I was not romantically interested. Uh, but 
then Tony Robbins asks, uh, you know, of course, he makes a pitch for another seminar. And uh, you can buy three more seminars, uh, you know, Wealth Mastery, Date with Destiny, and Life Mastery in Fiji. And instead of $20,000, $10,000. Who is in? And, and uh, you know, I had never spent so much money on a course or study or anything I think even a car, I know, I don't, I'd never spent so much money in my life. And I just walked over to the desk and said, yeah, you can take 10,000 off my credit card. <laughs> and he did the same thing. So we knew we would meet each other, even though I wasn't thinking this is romance or anything. Yeah. So we started off with that, like, personal development interest, which I think was such a great foundation. And then over the next months, I hear about him, like, you know, the marriage is breaking down. But I feel it's like, ah, oh, I don't really want to be a part of this. But one day there is like, there was this status on Facebook. It's complicated. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then I reached out to him. I said, what's happening? Nah, you know, no, no, no. Anyway, you know, he had not completely fulfilled the trigger on his marriage when... I started to realize, oh, this is maybe, maybe I'm actually falling in love. We, we met at, we, he was, we were both going to San Francisco and uh, we decided to have dinner and still nothing was, you know, happening or anything like that. Uh, and I walk up from my hotel. He is staying at a fancy hotel straight at Union Square. Uh, I think it's called the Drake or something. And uh, I was in some cheaper hotel down the street and I'm walking up the street and I see him standing at the corner of Union Square and I'm like oh I think I'm falling in love oh my gosh <laughs> to make a long story short you know uh, he went through a divorce uh, uh we got together and uh he is my biggest supporter in everything I want to do like every dream I have he supports me. And at the same time, he's also my biggest critic. Like if I do a webinar and he happens to see it, or if, if I, I don't know, I'm planning a retreat and I invite a guest speaker that he doesn't like, he'll, he'll tell me too, but he doesn't stop me. And he also realizes, even though he might tell me a critic or like give his feedback, I'm strong enough to not be, you know, I will not necessarily change my mind. I will take it on. And I might change my mind, you know, with certain things, but it's good to have someone who's honest with you because a lot of people don't talk to you anymore when you are, you know, it's kind of cold at the top. Absolutely. Wow. So what would you say, you know, to other strong and successful women who are maybe looking to find love, right? Or maybe they're in a relationship, but they realize like they're not getting I don't know, the support, like, do you have any pieces of advice to create that, um, I don't know, to get what you need in a relationship? Uh, well, I think this is clear. Communication is key. And uh, it was a good place for us to start to go to date with destiny, for instance. I think uh, if I can recommend that to couples to go to something similar together, like going to a deep personal development seminar together to to realize what you actually want from each other. And if, if at the end of the day, you realize you're not meant to be, then it's better you know it earlier than later. Uh, but then also talking about things that, you know, not all the time, you know, things that bother you, but, you know, having a 
some sort of a relationship summit. We actually have had that uh, not too regularly. We could probably do more of it, but we've had a relationship summit where we come together with our notebooks and we go through things that we would like to do, you know, keep doing and things we would like to do differently. And uh, yeah, working for me, uh, that's something that, you know, came up. Uh, He uh, basically lost his job in the fall of 2016. And before he lost his job, he had been 10 years working at this company and he felt restructuring was coming. It's a big company. He had survived a lot of restructuring and one day it's it's your turn. And it's often it's got nothing to do with you and your work. It's just this department is supposed to be laid down or whatever. But I he felt it coming and he started to say, hey, you're doing so great. You know, we, we can probably just, you know, do this business together. And I'm like, ah, I'm not making enough money for both of us. Uh, uh, and and uh, But when he lost his job, it was like there was a rocket inside of me. You know, I had my best launch afterwards. It was 230,000 uh, selling, selling groups, not a, not a program. And then I followed by that, I launched my first scalable program. So I, I made another 50,000 with the inaugural class. And uh, he joined the team officially January 2017. I thought he could be my COO. Uh, so that was my hope that he was like my integrator because I had started to read about integrators. I was like, yeah, that, that never really panned out that way. He was not, uh, interested to step in fully into that role, but I must say he was great role for him was the affiliate program. He was a great affiliate manager. He was really good. He used to be in sports before. So he would like push the people on the leaderboard and, you know, uh, so that was a really good role for him and also separate. I think it's important if couples want to work together that they have really different responsibilities and, uh, you know, he was really good, uh, you know, helping me behind the scenes, uh, turned out our books were not in order. Like I had switched an accountant and the new accountant told me that it's a mess. And I decided I was going to redo all the books for my first four year in business. And that was a lot of work. And you had to pull out all our invoices and receipts and uh, find all the bank statements and credit card statements. And uh, he helped with all of that. So that was like all these kind of things that, you know, are happening behind the scenes in many businesses and people don't hear about, but there is someone that needs to do it. And Uh, I was so fortunate that uh, he was willing to help out there. But, you know, there came a time where all that cleaning up is done. And uh, then we started to ask ourselves, like, what is his really role there? And I realized he didn't really want to be the COO that I needed. Sure. Uh, You know, the integrator that I needed. And I was like, I don't see him then being in some other role. Like, either he's the COO or he's maybe not there. Right. Okay. So... Uh, we started to talk about it and, uh, he, he says I fired him, but you know, it was not like that. I showed up one day and say, oh, you're fired. It was more of a gradual, you know, like he said to me like, oh, I only committed for one year, but now I've been here three years. You know, it was more like that type of discussion where for him, it was temporary. And I thought and hoped maybe it he became a bigger part of the business 
And so at the end of the day, it was best for us to, to, you know, say that this was good. It was a good time that we had together, uh, but he needed to do his own thing. And I needed to find the integrator CEO that I really needed because, you know, having someone who is like half right and not fully, even if it's your spouse, you know, that's just not a good way to run your business. So that was the best for us. Uh, he left uh, end of last year, no, actually end of January this year. Uh, he's still in the Slack, uh, you know, channel so that my team can reach him because there are still questions coming up. Uh, he's still the person that pays bills for me because, you know, with I want I don't want anyone else to manage our cash. And uh, but he started uh, now investing for us. And uh, so that's going to be his full time role, like uh, doing investments for us. That is so exciting. Wow. So, yeah, I love that even though he's not inside the business as a full time employee, he's still your biggest cheerleader and critic and paying attention to like the important things and now helping your you know money grow. So that's that's incredible. Um, so as we wrap, do you have like a final message, whether it's a message that you've already shared that you want to. Um, kind of hammer home or something new in terms of like a parting message. You know, I know people follow you because they want to learn, you know, how to become successful like you. So what would be like a, a final message to send um, your listeners off with? That a bigger business is not more work. Uh, I really want women to think bigger. It is a shocking statistic that 90% of female owned companies make less than six figures. That's, that's horrible. We are never going to achieve gender equality when women think so small. So I truly believe women can change the world if they stop, if they stop thinking small. Oh my gosh, that is so powerful. Thank you, Sigrun. Thank you for encouraging us all to think big and also know that as we grow bigger, we can actually have more freedom. You know, not more stress, but more freedom, more power, me making that bigger impact. So thank you for this amazing conversation and thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of The Sigrun Show and my origin story. Now, let's make sure that you make real progress in your online business this summer. Go to the show notes at sigrun.com forward slash 441 to sign up for the free five-day course now so that you can get traction in your online business this summer. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. See you in the next episode and in the five-day course.